Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movies. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte. And today we're doing four recent releases. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, the Super Mario Brothers movie, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, and Summoning Sylvia. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Uh, You know what life is also too short for, uh, Rebecca, is for three friends who are all in Southern California Mm. to come together in the same place to record an episode of a podcast. (laughs) But here we are all the same uh, because this week we are joined by uh, by a longtime friend of the podcast, uh, one time guest host now back once again to grace us with his thoughts on on the latest releases. Everyone, please welcome George Northey. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me back. Super fun. Mm. I kind of demanded to be on this uh, based (laughs) on these current movies, and I'm excited to talk about them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes, and you, George, did also dictate the exact lineup that we have today. Uh, wow. This is all. This is all all from George. Uh, so any 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 objections, take it up with him. Uh, but this is it is it is three very similar films, and then one other film. Uh, so <laughs> one, cur- one little curveball for you all. <laughs> super gay Mario Brothers movie. Um, so this is less of an invitation and more of a threat averted. <laughs> right. And, and also, I just realized three of these four movies are Chris movies. Uh, we have we have Chris's yeah. represented in three of the four. Uh, we got so, but, Mm-hmm. Exactly. We have Chris visually, visually and sonically, uh, which is but not not to be confused with Sonic the Hedgehog, which I'm sure he'll get to eventually. Uh, but George, <laughs> George, catch us up, catch our listeners up. How are things? What are you up to? Um, well, you know, uh, I was working and uh, writing some stuff for various uh, TV networks, um, developing some pilots uh, until last week when. I went on strike, um, as did all the writers of working in Hollywood and and also in New York and all around the world, <laughs> I guess. So yeah, yes. that's been that's been new. I, I wasn't here for the last strike in 2007, um, so yes. I've been kind of experiencing the whole thing, and it's been you know it's been really cool just to like see my other fellow writers and be out there and pick it with them and and and. I just feel like we're all really super united on the issues we were bringing. And um, I just hope it, you know, I hope it is resolved soon, but I'm not sure when it will be because everyone kind of has a different idea of when we will keep it, be back at work. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. So since you mentioned yeah. the strike, um, George, would you mind giving like a little, little summary of kind of what it's about, you know, for, for those of us who are, uh, interested, but not in the industry. Yeah, totally. I, I, it's kind of, it's interesting. Every three years we, we have a, uh, renegotiation last year, th- three years ago, I think everyone was kind of itching and thought there would be a strike at that time, but because of the pandemic, it kind of was like, a, everyone kind of said, let's just, p- uh, push this can down the road or kick this can down the road. 
um, and and deal with these issues after everyone's back at work and and things are more on solid ground. The major issues are, I mean, always uh, getting our minimums up, getting our residual numbers up. But with streaming becoming kind of the dominant force, that's become the big question mark because as someone who wrote on like a cable and a network show, um, you get really good residuals, which are the things that kind of keep you afloat between jobs. Um, and net, and you know, that's whenever, whenever your episodes rerun either on network or elsewhere, you get like a nice check. And then with streaming, you get like a, you get like a lump sum residual before, and then they can just use it all unlimited times. Obviously streaming is just, you know, you click and you watch. And so, the rerun, the concept of reruns doesn't exist in streaming. So um, mm. that's a huge thing of getting our, our our residual number to really reflect more of like what it used to be in the streaming era now that like pretty much everything's streaming. And then um, the other big things are kind of this like separation of the writer's room or writing itself from production. Um, mm. And also uh, these smaller rooms that are, you know, you might work for 10 weeks on a show and then the filming is three months later and the only person who's kept on um, on the payroll is the showrunner themselves and they're expected to go to set. So no one, um, none of the lower levels are getting to go to set, learning, getting set experience. And also, they're also, you know, not working as much, you know. So mm -hmm. one of the big, the big kind of ask, I think, for that we're trying to get the studios to commit to, which is kind of like, as it was described to me, which I really makes sense. It's like, it used to be just like a given that you would keep your writer set writing staff throughout production because you need them because that's how TV used to work. So it's trying to make more of a required amount of writers on a staff. So sorry, Mike White, but you're going to have to have a staff <laughs> on the white notice. Um, but um, if we, if we win, which I think we will. And then, um, and yeah, and, and just, um, and, and keeping more writers employed, on the production part of it uh, for longer, because the other thing that's happening interestingly is like it's it's actually really disadvantaging showrunners too, because the old model was to get paid per episode. But if you're doing a, an eight six episode season of a show and it takes you two years and you're and you're mm -hmm. the only writer on it and you're you're stretching your paycheck out so much that you're basically working. Mm -hmm making what you used to make as a staff writer when you, when you break it down by week. So mm. um, those are the big issues. And then the other kind of curveball issue, which I, I kind of rolled my eyes in the big meeting when they said this was going to be, they were going to bring this up to the studios. And I think a lot of people did um, is the use of AI, which we uh -huh. all thought would be like, kind of like a, we all thought it would kind of be like, a, Oh yeah, sure. Like we were not going to use AI, you know, yada, yada, yada. And we thought like, it would be like a, and I kind of was like, everyone who's freaking out about it. I thought was like, being a little over dramatic, but mm -hmm. the fact that the studios wouldn't even talk about it raised major alarm bells for everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah. if um, if they won't, if they don't want to kind of just say, yeah, sure, we won't use uh, AI <laughs> to create original stuff or make you rewrite whatever crap AI shoots out of at it, us, you know, um, that became a real issue. So that now people are actually kind of concerned. And really, and I think it's it's actually an industry-wide problem that I think everyone should be concerned about, not just writers, um, definitely actors um, having their voice, you know, mm. manipulated or their image manipulated by AI, um, directors, editors, um, 
I think the executives should be just as concerned, you know, because <laughs> um, their notes, the, the notes they give uh, sometimes are a little robotic, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> they, uh, I think um, AI is actually going to be a huge part of this. And a lot of people are saying, you know, the last time we had, we had the strike in 2007, they had a similar response to the idea of streaming video, <laughs> you know, they kind oh of are like, gosh. what's this? Nobody really knows what's going to happen with it. Maybe we can just like, you know, like what they offered for AI was like an annual meeting where we discuss technology. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a, advances. Un, something nobody wants to go to. <laughs> yeah. And the other hilariously um, insulting thing they offered was when this idea of getting um, more lower level staff writers on set to get experience with sets so that, you know, they're the future showrunners. Um they offered an unpaid lot internship lottery for writers, um, but only for LA productions, which is mm. hilarious because like that's, that already exists literally. Like when I was a staff writer on a show that was an LA production, I just came to set every day and my showrunner was like, yeah, just watch and, and learn, you know, <laughs> which is like, I wasn't getting paid, but like I had nothing better to do. And so I was laughing with my friend who was on staff with me. I was like, we did that for like, that was already happened. You know, it's so funny, but that's like a thing. They're like, we'll give you this. Um, <laughs> right. They're being generous. And it's, a, and it's a lottery. Like you might not be able to win it, but like, wow. it's so stupid. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I kind of, I was being a little Pollyanna about it all and thought it was just not going to happen and we would come to a deal because when I went to the meeting, I was, a, I was half expecting us to have really um, kind of out there demands. And we, and then I was like, Oh, our demands are super reasonable and not crazy at all. Um, so I kind of thought, okay, well maybe we will just make a deal because nothing we're asking for is that out, out of nowhere. So I was a little surprised, but then seeing what their responses are, which the WGA released, which was really helpful to kind of see exactly what they offered us. Um, mm -hmm. And you can find that very easily. I think it's on deadline or whatever. Um, that was really eye-opening, I thought. Mm, wow. I'm, I have wow. one follow-up question. I know I don't, we don't want to take yeah. over the whole show, but I do have one follow-up question. Um, yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, the difference between residuals coming from streaming versus network television how mm -hmm. does that figure, like, I could see how something like, I'm just going to say familiar names, like ABC, it's a big difference to go from advertiser-driven, like, timed television and reruns and things like that on, like, terrestrial TV. But something like, and again, I'll just say HBO, which has always been behind a paywall, how does that, how does that math sort of shake out differently for, for companies like that? Well, I think... There the, was, the, the, it was always better for network, but it was still very healthy for cable. I will just, I'll kind of, I think I, I think cable and premium cable are kind of lumped together. Um, I think you might get a little more for premium cable, but like the thing is, I mean, and those networks like HBO still technically exists, you know, it's not just uh, Max or HBO Max or whatever, like, mm -hmm. and they did used to do reruns on network, you know, like, you know, there used to be like five different HBOs. So there would always mm -hmm. be a rerun on like Sopranos or whatever, you know, or, and um, having written on a cable show, I got healthy residuals for that. So any rerun on network, um, you make a decent ch uh, chunk. It, it, it kind of, over time, it gets lower and lower. Like every rerun you get, it gets a little smaller um, until it, but then when they sell it internationally, you get more. But because um, at HBO Max, as an example, will, would get like a much smaller, like lump sum residual um, for your Sex and City episode that could 
you know, is rerun thousands of times a day or maybe, I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. maybe at my house, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, it's very different. And it's also where it's the same for movies, um, you know, these huge residuals and also bonuses for, um, you know, box office uh, that don't, that people who do streaming first movies just don't get anymore. And also the DVD residual, which obviously is going away, was very good. Um, so it's just right, trying right. to get the new era of this new kind of streaming world where even even a movie that goes to theaters might have a DVD release, but it's not very big. Um, those kind of finding a way for those to to recoup those costs because the whole thing is like, I'm someone who's, I've been on a couple staff, but I've also done a lot of development in between. And that those residuals are what keep you going in the, like the more fallow times because you can sell a show, um, but then your deal takes six months to make it. And then, you know, if it's streaming, like there are no real deadlines. So it can stretch on for, you know, months to years and you need to have some sort of extra income to keep you going. Otherwise it's not, it's not sustainable for just the general public, I think. I see. Okay. So as I, you know, as I, as I relate this to the other two, now that Night Nurse has just come out, what's Carrie going to do exactly. until the next project? Okay. I understand. Well, yeah. Carrie, luck. And, and, and the act, and I think the one thing that could be interesting later when the directors uh, go up, I think coming this week and um, actors later in, I think June is they're concerned about AI and they're also concerned about this transparency stuff because actors and directors also used to get better residuals if they, you know, created a hit um, and better bonuses and stuff like that. And the whole thing of the net, your Netflixes, your Maxes, uh, holding back their numbers um, mm. is going to be an issue for all three major guilds. Um, and I don't think the, the Writers Guild is saying like Netflix has to release raw data, but creating some sort of tiered system, perhaps, you know, they have their whole top 10, these are the hits mm-hmm. on our network thing, um, some sort of beneficial residual to represent, you know, if you, if you write on Wednesday or whatever, like is the big hit, Stranger Things, um, you should get more because you're obviously being streamed more, at least mm-hmm. according to them, you know, right. Um, right. that's the idea. That's another thing that I think, that's the one issue that overlaps on all three major guilds. So it could be come up in the other negotiations. I see. Yes, we we all know where we were when Sydney Sweeney Boldy came forward and said that she wasn't making as much in Euphoria as people would think. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. But there we go. Justice there we for go. Sydney. Justice was just do it for her, <laughs> for no one else. That's uh, the, the face <laughs> we have to put to this. Um, <laughs> yes. But yes, Is best, there, best yeah, of luck. It, Best of luck. Is there anything that, you know, that sort of the listeners of the show could do to support? Like, what are what are writers hoping for from sort of the general public when it comes to this? Because obviously, you know, we don't have a seat at the table for for changing the, the these um these contracts and these rates. But, you know, what is what can we be doing aside from, you know, honking at picketers to support them? You can honk, you can post, you can. I mean, if you if you're feeling like a streamer isn't uh isn't delivering for you, you could cancel it. And then when they say why, you could say, pay your writers or whatever. Um, <laughs> but I'm, no one's saying cancel all your streamers. I'm, I'm certainly not. But um, I think um, there's also, I, I saw some websites recently pop up actually today that are like uh, t-shirts you can buy that support the the actors, the, not the actors funds, the funds that will be helping 
uh, struggling writers and also struggling support staff who got laid off during this time. Mm. Um, so that's pretty easy to find, I think, on um, just make sure, obviously, it's like a legit thing. But you can buy like a, right. a Writers Guild support shirt or whatever, and all the proceeds will go to those kind of funds um, that will help keep people uh, afloat as this thing goes forward. Right. Yeah. Like if you, you know, if you buy it and then the PayPal receipt comes through and the, you know, the seller's email address is like Zaslov at WBDiscovery.com. You're like, oh, I fell <laughs> no, for it. No, that's, that's a no. But um, yeah, mm. I think if you go on social media and follow like legit writers, I think I saw it on um a bunch of people uh, posting about uh, uh, some different shops that are popping up that are 100% to those funds. So I think donate or just donate to those. Um, those funds that are, I think, are linked to the WGA. So, um, yeah, I think that's what you can do. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, for that very detailed uh, explanation of what's happening. Sorry to put you on the spot like that to speak on behalf oh, no. of this, uh, no, it was this massive to, situation. Like, practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first no, the first you did great. Yes, you did great. You did great, and you know, and people keep asking me if I'm on strike, and I'm just like, I'm not that kind of writer. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, marketing copywriters don't get to go on strike. We don't have, we don't have a union. We don't have any organized labor. Uh, and, and which George knows because that's the world he came from before he broke into the world of screenwriting. Uh, so, but yes. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, well, there we go. We are all caught up on the strike and, uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, it'll all be resolved and you all will have what you want. Uh, so fingers crossed. I mean, I'm not, I mean, depends on how, how long it takes to edit, but. I mean, <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> as the person who edits the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know you were, you're really speed with that last one. Uh, but, uh, but you know, but that was, that was also, I don't know. I think you felt pressure from Ashley. You're like, I gotta get this up. I guessed, you know, I feel pressure. Um, and now that you've kind of, built in this like constraint mm. about uh the strike that feels like a little bit of a tiktok um i think you'll have time yes. don't worry i know yes <laughs> unfortunately I, mean, is, I think you're actually just going to inspire rebecca to go on strike against me uh we'll just, yeah, have a, we'll just have join a two, us just a one line right, yeah. yeah i mean right you'll say that down with you oh, yeah, that's another thing like yeah. anyone can join like if you want to come down and, and support and like you know the usual places you can find them very easily Disney, the studio, uh, Netflix, uh, Amazon. I don't know mm-hmm. if we're picketing Apple. Maybe. Not yet. <laughs> no, no, because you guys are all there up in. Yeah, we, we don't. Too maybe far. some people are up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And also you have to take parking into consideration. You know, parking is too difficult. Yeah. And, you know, then just forget it. Yeah. I will be exactly. in LA next week. Um, uh, my partner's mother's coming into town to stay with us for a oh. month, and we're going to see LA. And I feel like, what better place to to meet celebrities, the writers behind your favorite TV shows, than to <laughs> take her mother on a tour of the of, and also, you know, uh, big big I've union family. So stars, yeah, I've seen some stars uh, on the picket line. So, yeah, totally. Well, shall we get to the films? Okay, cool. Let's let's start with the um, the hardest of them all. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill must rally his team to defend the universe and protect one of their own. If the mission is not completely successful, it could possibly lead to the ends of the Guardians as we know them. Um, I 
I might tear up just talking about this. So Jason, why don't you, why don't you get us started? I didn't I mean, think I about it try. last night and I was like, got all teary eyed. Oh, gosh. I, I will do my best. I definitely am going to like let you two lead this one. <laughs> You're going to have a lot more to say than I will. Okay. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so uh, here we are, Guardians Three. Uh, this is, by most accounts, a, a, at least some sign of life of the MCU getting back on track with a film that is not a complete sort of mediocre nothing, um, as the last string has been. Uh, although the last Guardians Two really was sort of the, <laughs> was 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 not great, uh, but here we are. Uh, uh, in this scene, seems to be, uh, a, by all accounts, a, a better film. Uh, I mean, I was really not planning on talking at all during this one, so I'm on the spot right now. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it is. It is coming off of. Okay, what were the last few? Where does this fit into the phasing? This is. This is. I'm. I'm the wrong person to lead this. Well. Uh, well, I think. I think one thing that. I mean, I. I loved it. I thought it was really. I was really surprised. Actually, like I was worried. I, I have been worried about. Uh, some of the trajectory of the Marvel films recently. Um, but I thought it was, I, I really was impressed. And I, I thought it, I mean, I think it might be one of my favorite Marvel films, honestly. Um, I think it, it was so like just the visual, like imaginativeness of it. And it felt like, uh, you know, James Gunn kind of got fired from this movie uh, for those like kind of old tweets of his, and then he got rehired. And it kind of seemed like he came in with a whole like, okay, but like, I'm going to do whatever I want you know, yes. with this, and I'm really going to make it my way, like, so much, like, practical, weird crap. Um, I don't know if we should spoil my favorite cameo, Jason, but uh, <laughs> there's a, there's an amazing ca- vocal cameo um, that uh, for a, a infamous character. Well, there are a couple of character actresses who have yeah. vocal cameos, but there's one that really blew me away. Um I, th- yeah, I say we spoil it. it. I say we spoil yeah, it. Yeah, because okay. I think people have to look for it. Otherwise, they're just going to miss it anyway. Yeah. Judy Greer as Warpig. I mean, uh, <laughs> I just, it's my favorite phrase. Uh, it, <laughs> I just, my friends and I were talking about getting it tattooed um, <laughs> in just block type letters. Um, no, and please do that. I would try to, I think what I was trying to get to was the, um, you know, the the last movie I think was Ant-Man and Quantumadia and Ugh. all the imagination that went into this movie uh, is what I kind of thought might be in Ant-Man when you go into this like microverse that yes. could be truly anything, but was just space really like was just another was like a more yes. boring version of space in that movie. And this was exactly was more like the crazy organic space station they go to that is like weird and like people look like it looks like it's made of flesh and like you see like the like pores and the fat deposits on it like really weird wacky stuff that for me was exactly what i what i expected ant-man to have and then this is delivered on kind of all of that weirdness and you could just see james gunn's like roots and like the trauma super i don't know b movie i guess you would call it like filmmaking that he kind of came from he kind of put, incorporated so much of that into this movie that I really, um, I really, I really just was really impressed by all that. And then the emotion on top of that was like, obviously, um, Rebecca, you might want to go into that, but I mean, I, I, I was also <laughs> hit by a lot of it. I mean, I, 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 
couldn't agree more that this is exactly what I expected or, or not maybe not expected, but wanted from quantum media and even from uh, Dr. Strange and the multiverse, like this sort of really put us in a new world with like new, yeah, textures and mechanics. And um, this one finally delivered on that when they go to, um, was it Orgocore? Um, yeah, Orgocore. <laughs> yeah. Just like a different ways of getting into things, how like, different worlds can interact and and that um kind of yeah knockoff star wars that they had in in ant-man um quantum mania was an incredible letdown and it was nice it was very refreshing to have this sort of yeah you have like you know the best directors and all of the the financial availability and technology and give me something i haven't seen before until like I mean, to just defend the writers and directors of the other movies a little bit, I, it just really felt like James Gunn kind of like got no inner like interference. You know, this mm. was like pure his vision. Um, and I think some of the other newer p- people or people who are more kind of still in the machine, like I just really think it really feels like him being fired and rehired might have like given a lot of him a lot of more freedom to really make the movie he wanted because it is really dark and depressing and it's not like you know it's not a kid-friendly movie really like i mean i think most kids can handle it but it is a hard pg-13 and like the the kids in the theater i saw it in (laughs) there was some wailing and not just for me um i'm surprised you could hear anyone else's wailing (laughs) yeah me too but this kid there were a couple kids that were very affected yeah i mean and you know i think i think we kind of we baby uh, children a little bit too much now. Like we, we saw some, we all saw some really dark stuff as kids and we're okay. At least we, we think we are. Um, <laughs> and, um, and yeah, no, I, I thought like just the emotion was like, it was very like, you know, straightforward, but it's, yeah, it's animals getting, uh, I mean, this is not a spoiler. I think it's pretty much in the trailer. It's, it's, you really see Rocket's origin story and how he was kind of a lab kind of rat or lab test animal with a bunch and he meets a, bunch of cute cuddly friends who are really well done um and yeah it's a tragic story of kind of explains where he came from and why he's kind of this gruff character and i thought that all worked really well and you know i I, yeah it it was more emotion i mean especially like the, the, the whole the most impressive thing about these movies is that like he took these really, really obscure characters who i i was i'm a big marvel fan and i'd never heard of most of them and 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 you know a tree and a raccoon and he made them like some of the most lovable best characters in the in the thing and so I think like that's that's what Marvel does at its best which like they all they had all these characters that no one really wanted even like Iron Man even Captain America were like seen as like D grade characters and they managed to turn them into something great and it would. I think what's worrying about the future is like, they're like, now we're going to do X-Men. Now we're going to do Fantastic Four, which have a lot of, um, everyone knows them or people know them better. And so that creates, it's almost like a bigger challenge, you know? Mm. So like what really made them special. And whenever I hear people being like, oh, why would you make a movie about this obscure character? And it's like, you can make a good movie about pretty much any of these, even, even you can make a better one often from the obscure characters. Um, it's almost like Snatch Game rules. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do someone well, like you can make it whatever you want. Like, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, like, don't pick someone super obscure and then who's like a YouTuber and not have a point of view about them. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But like, but if you take like 
oh, I, I see what I'm going to do with these like weird characters and I have a really great idea behind it. You can make a really great movie about it. Um, right. So yeah, I really, um, I was a fan. I think um, I, I was really impressed. I feel like this also, um, it seemed like um, Gunn's like, version of, or his own avatar. Like I felt like there were so okay. many messages about the environment, about cruelty, about forgiveness, about communicating with each other um, yep. that were were very clear. I didn't think they were like, you know, done in a way to hit you over the head with, but it was um, like no question that these like themes kept coming up about, yeah, just sort of understanding each other and having empathy. And we kind of really haven't seen that in some of the more recent Marvel movies because they're always like on this agenda to tie up these storylines. Yeah. They have so many, it, they feel like they're, you know, like checking off things that they have to do because there's a, a rigor about, you know, well, we set this up, we have mm-hmm. to, we have to do something with it. And this one felt like, no, there was a, there's a kind of a greater uh, ideology behind it, uh, both in terms of really humanizing and developing the depth of each of these four you know, weirdos and, and also, you know, how they approach their existence and how they've gone on their own journeys about, you know, not being selfish or being there for each other or learning what family is. And, um, it, it really, that tied that sort of like less tactical and more, you know, thematic storyline up in a, um, a very satisfying way yeah and it's getting back to what marvel started out being which is like let's tell individual stories that are really good that just are Mm -hmm. sort of like very 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 loosely connected and like not being so obsessed with having it all be super super connected obviously there is like a lot of connection with like the whole gamora plot line you if you hadn't seen the avengers movie you wouldn't know what's going on with her but also you could just kind of like i i just felt like it's very it's more comic booky to tell these like these different adventures and then sometimes they cross over right, in right. these big event series but you you still have your guardians of the galaxy comics that are their own stories and they're and, and they're and then they meet the avengers sometimes but only in special occasions so i think that is the way i hope that's the way they're going forward i mean i'm not sure but like i, I think that's know. been a, the problem of some of the things of like for me like i always like the one-off movies much better than the ones that are super interconnected um, like I even like the original Ant-Mans were like among my favorite because they were these smaller stories. And mm-hmm. this story had like the smallest stakes of the, it was like saving one person was the stakes of this movie. It, it gets bigger as, as they go, but that's the mission is to save the life of one character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really smart way to do it versus trying to save the entire world. It's, it's so crazy saying like, that, you know, the early Ant-Man's for some of your favorites. And then this last one couldn't be further from what was yeah. that about? That wasn't about Scott. It was barely about, you know, him and his daughter. It it was about like Michelle Pfeiffer and Kang. Like it, it really. Or wait, wait, I keep calling her old wasp. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, hey, I would have been down if it had just been about Michelle Pfeiffer. Sure, you know, like, same. Of course, the first part. part of that movie. Yeah. Exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even in the in this in this new Guardians, the Gamora line uh, or storyline is not the focus, which is, and and it doesn't yeah. resolve in a way that to like you know make everyone feel great about that. It you know has subtle yeah. nods to the fact that if you know. Quill continues to be who he is and eventually he will, you know, um, 
have a positive influence on her or get her to warm up to him slightly. But um, that could have easily been the focus of this movie. And uh, I'm so glad that it was. And they they did a really smart thing of de-emphasizing the Peter Quill character, I think, and making him, he's just a part of it. He's not like the lead of that, this movie, you know, he is just one of the the crew, you know, and he has his like romantic kind of sad plot line with Rick Mora, but that's pretty much it for him, you know, which I think was the best use of him. And it's really about the rocket character and also like weirdly Mantis and Nebula. And Nebula. Oh my God. Nebula is always like the. Yeah. The one everyone wants more of, more of, yeah. you know, and and yeah, I think we get a little bit more here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the way that, that they, the sort of, uh, like Rocket and Gamora have a relationship, and I don't know, it just those those back, like quote, I'm using air quote background guardians, like thinking about Rocket's relationships with like Thor, Nebula, um, mm-hmm. it just you know he's a character that has like so. Mm, he has so much to offer, like technically, leadership-wise, as a pilot. He's a good fighter. He's an innovator. But he's also this, like, kind of emotional adult in the crew mm-hmm. that can really, like, yeah. relate to these other characters that are going through um, hard times and, and, like, listen to them and, like, be supportive. And this was, like, his chance to be shown support. I'm going to get emotional again. Take it. Take it, George. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I will all just... I will just say, like, uh, I also very much enjoyed the villains, particularly, I mean, the, 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 villain, the main villain is, like, one of the best because he's just despicable. You just can't wait to see him defeated and just really well done. Um, uh, the high evolutionary is his name, and I, the actor's name I, I do not know. But um, I also just really had a shout-out Elizabeth Debicki and Will <laughs> Poulter as this kind of, like, wacky, these, like, <laughs> they were just, like, these silly, overly proper British gold people who just like really just have this weird like mommy son thing going on and like i could have done with a lot more elizabeth debicki in this movie she's so just like she looks so frazzled all the time but like also (laughs) she's like seven feet tall and huge platform heels and i just loved it (laughs) i in any other in any other circumstance i felt like it would have been manipulative in its use of Mm -hmm. rocket as a baby raccoon and his little friend. <laughs> I can't. Here we take go. it, George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard, you know, I think, and it, it is a little manipulative, but that's just storytelling. And, and, you know, they set, they set it up from the very beginning. He was like, as this character was like, uh, essentially an experiment. Um, what else was it going to be? You know, I think, uh, I thought it was really smart and, I liked the way they kind of brought you into the kind of almost like like a kind of flowers for Algernon kind of vibe where he starts huh? he starts to become more intelligent as like time goes on. Um, and you see him with his other characters. And yeah, I thought it was just I mean, what I think when you think about it, like what else origin is he going to have? You know, and I think how is this how does it make sense that there's this raccoon in space who can do all this? Um and I thought it was really smart to make him kind of the MacGuffin and also the heart of the film. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and just the fact that they can take these CGI characters, really well done CGI characters, by the way, like really like so well rendered um, and make them the heart, the emotional heart of the film. It really shows you how good 
uh, he is with the writing, with the directing, and with the vision of of these things. Yeah, I don't know what else to there, what there is to say other than you know be care be beware if you have uh, <laughs> if you're triggered by emotion, animal cruelty stuff. It's gonna be rough. It's gonna be a rough one, but it's but it's a good good watch. Yeah. It makes it makes me wonder if uh the fact that yeah we I was also like okay who is this villain who is this actor what is happening. And then looked him up and he's just like this like British stage actor who has barely been, he's not been in a lot of films. I'm just like, I wonder if he's the only one who would say yes to, to, to a character that <laughs> does such despicable things. Uh, like everyone else is like, oh, my career, I don't want to commit to playing this, like, <laughs> this awful, awful, like abuser of adorable animals, like in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I guess he's worked with James Gunn and like Peacemaker, yeah. I think, or maybe yeah, he's that, been that, like part of. That's what Scott was telling me. Yeah, yeah. So he'd had an eye on him probably from that. And yeah, I think it's smart to not cast like a big star for that part. Um, it's more of like a a dark villain, you know, that you just kind of can put all you can just see him as that role. But hopefully, uh, without the weird makeup and the purple suit, he can <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Move on with his life. Right. Keep working. <laughs> no Keep one will, working. And Peter won't go after him, you know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And another 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 voice actor in the mix was Linda Cardellini as Lila uh, with doing the, uh, I'll give Rebecca a minute to go and leave the room, uh, doing a variation on the, the very warm, endearing voice that she's rehearsed so well on Dead to Me these last couple seasons. Uh, yeah. So that also jumped out at me. Um I will say I was I was very frazzled going into this movie because I made the mistake of trying to see it like a, a 2 p.m. screening of it at the Century City Westfield on Saturday of opening weekend. Um, and when I tell you that I literally had to circle the parking garage for a full 30 minutes before finding a spot, I'm not wow. exaggerating. It was it was it, it truly felt like a limbo from which I might never emerge. Uh, because like at every single second, more cars were streaming in from every single entrance and you couldn't make a turn without there being five other cars already in front of you also waiting for somebody to leave a spot. It was a hellscape. It so was, did that make you, did that, that made you struggle to feel bad for the animals? Cause you're like, it did. look what I've been through. It did. You want to talk about suffering? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just like, I'm like, I, you know, had to miss the first, I missed, I would say probably the first 15 to 20 minutes of the movie. Oh, because okay. even yeah, that, that and there was like a full half hour of trailers. Oh, yeah, of that too. Yeah, no, exactly, wow. exactly. I still missed the first fifteen twenty minutes of the movie. Uh, so I was very yeah, I was it was it was like an apocalypse. It was, was it sold out. Wow. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was sold out. Um, yeah, there's we, we saw it at the the there's you know there was playing multiple screens of course at the AMC at Century City Westfield. Um, we always like to see movies in the Dolby theater, which has a, a, bit, a bit fewer seats. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I think they were all, they were all, um, sold out. So yeah, so I was a little, I, I didn't get to like really settle in and like vibe with it from the very beginning. And yeah. so I, so I didn't have, I would say I didn't have like the, the same love affair with it. Um, for, for me, it did just hit me as just being really manipulative and, and not crossing over into a good way. I was like, to me, it just kind of felt brazen. Um, so I didn't, I was, you know, so, and that's, and I'll keep this to a minimum. Um, but yeah, for me, it was, it. It, it, for me, it was just manipulative. 
Um, and, uh, but you know, obviously like emotions are emotions. Um, you know, so everyone's emotions are, are, are valid and real. Some people have them, some people don't. Exactly. uh... Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so yeah, uh, Scott and I, uh, were dry eyed, uh, throughout the film. Um, but that (laughs) is, but that is just us. Um, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, it, it was the, the needle drops. They, they moved up a little bit in time. There was, it was not just seventies cock rock. So props for that. Uh, yeah, that, that was I the did, one, the needle drops right. were the one thing that I was like, were a bit excessive. Like it the, was like Florence and the machine did not work. That was, that was unexpected. Uh, yeah. I, I, and they really, they really just, they played like the entire song. Uh, I thought if any yeah. song would have made sense from her to play in that moment, it would have been You've Got the Love. Felt like more of like a wrap it up, good time party song. Um, right. But I don't know. I'm not the music supervisor. So. I was thinking it was going to be like a maybe like a time to pretend or something like that. Um, oh, that'd be good. We were, we were discussing into the car on the way home and like Soul's feedback was that the Florence machine would have worked if they were dancing on beat. Like it's such a rhythmic song. It's weird to like <laughs> right. slow it down to like to have like a. Also if they were wearing like cat flowy calf hands would have helped. Mm, yeah. Uh, and that would exactly help. It more... didn't help anything. Yeah. Yeah. Just more Grecian, <laughs> a more Grecian vibe overall. Yeah. Uh, I think would have made things improve. So, uh, but also I will just say about the Judy Greer thing. And I alluded to this to George. Uh, so I, I, George had texted me to say that there was going to be a cameo in it that was going to knock me on my ass. So the entire movie, I was on alert. I was like, did I miss it? Was <laughs> it the first 15 minutes? And um, and so then whenever word pick came up, you know, there's already this sort of like surprise moment because you see this character and you're not expecting this like high nasal female voice to come out of it. <laughs> and then it does. And you're like, and I immediately was like, hmm. And in the back of my mind, I was just like Judy Greer because so many years ago, I interviewed James Gunn for the movie Super uh, that he did with Rain Wilson. And I showed up to the interview wearing my Judy Greer as Fern Mayo Jawbreaker shirt. And and when I sat down, he looked at it and he was like, oh, my God. He was like, I have to take a picture of that. Judy's a friend of mine. And I was like, oh, of course, go right ahead. And so I was like, think I was like, ooh, okay, that would track. I could totally see um, him being like, hey, Judy, want to do War Pig? Um, yeah. And, and now, now let's just hope that maybe that's a spinoff we'll get. I'd love to see a, 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 a whole Judy Greer as War Pig, you know, sort of like storyline unfold and ripple throughout the MCU. Uh, so give us the origin movie. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. see War Pig whole origin story. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they could just exactly. do it as a, a Disney TV. Uh, Disney Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I would take that. Also, the Pete when like when I realized what character Pete Davidson played, I did think it was funny. Uh, so. Oh wait, who played? Who did he play? I missed. He him. was he was that uh, <laughs> he was that really freakish looking little monster that like uh, I think Mantis lets out of the cage and and she's like oh oh yeah and and he's like oh thank you very much or whatever and she's like oh you're you're not weird looking. Uh, she, I was just saying oh, oh yeah. You know. Um, oh great. Yeah, that was that was, that was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do we want to give this one? It I is mean, getting a binge it, it for binge, me. A binge it for me as well. Mm-hmm. Great, and that's it. For me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three is in theaters and it is rated PG thirteen. Questionably so, but it is rated PG thirteen. <laughs> hey, PG thirteen means thirteen. You know, like they thirteen year olds <laughs> right. can handle it. 
Yeah. Right. Or <laughs> parental guidance. Um, yeah. So that yeah. you can take your crying child out of the theater if they're yeah. under 13. Or let's say they're like significantly older than 13, <laughs> but can't control right. themselves. Right. Uh, but yeah. luckily brought a full it's box of tissues. It's an emotional <laughs> age. <requirement. laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Our second movie this week is the Super Mario Brothers movie. With the help from Princess Peach, Mario gets ready to square off against the all-powerful Bowser to stop his plans from conquering the world. George, this was a request, uh, a mandate from you for this movie? <laughs> well, it's because I'd already seen it and I needed to process. <laughs> um, no, I mean, Jason, you'll be pleased to know the gushing will stop now. Um, yeah, I mean, and I'm... I definitely, so I definitely have a, you know, an aversion to uh, badmouthing the work of others. Uh, but um, this, uh, and also I think animation is usually not in the WGA and I, I can't imagine this one was made by a WGA, under a WGA con- contract. But anyway, so um, yeah, I mean, for me, like I, as I spoke about the AI threat earlier, I literally watched this and was like, this feels already written the still written by ai like i <laughs> i really struggled with like i mean there are some really visually really fun really well done like visual moments but as far as the story and just the dialogue like i i truly feel like anya taylor joy like recorded all her lines in one day and they were like we can't get her back because like everything <laughs> she said was not like reacting to the other people in the scene like it was like it's as if they just had a bank of lines from her and it was just you know it just she would just say things <laughs> and like they would just be like now we're doing this so yeah i was not a fan of it unfortunately um and um you know beautiful gowns i will say you know it was uh... <laughs> <laughs> no beautiful gowns Oh my god! Uh, I, I I will say that like when the movie started and it was like just this this story about this like scrappy duo of brothers trying to start a fledgling plumbing business in New York, I was like, okay, I can watch this. Um, yeah. And then this and then the second it went into the game world, it just lost me completely and never got me back. <laughs> Which I mean, I could, I mean to be clear, I understood what was coming. I understood that was going to be the whole movie. Like I, this is my generation of you know of of little boys uh, who you know grew up playing this. Uh, so I was definitely you know um, you know I, I remember I think I was like the first kid on my block that got I want to say Super Mario three. Um, you know, so our house was like the main draw for a while, so everybody can come over and play that. So a lot of nostalgia for Mario, but yeah, this 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 ain't it. Um, you know, it just it just becomes this. It's just yeah. I mean, I I can't really say I enjoyed virtually anything that happened. Um, once they got into like the game part of the movie. I mean, I think I had just such a low bar, such a low expectation for this movie that I left pretty delighted. I think ever okay. since the whole like the it's a me situation, <laughs> the it's a me too situation <laughs> happened with the trailer and Chris Pratt um, really expected it to be. Yeah, just bottom of the barrel. Um, I think it, it definitely picked up when uh, Seth Rogen's character Donkey Kong came on. Um, and then it just kind of had like a, I don't know, fun 
it's it's weird that this isn't a summer movie. It's it's weird that none of these are summer movies, frankly. Um, but it had like I could see enjoying this as a kid. Like the little Easter eggs to different Nintendo worlds were cute. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's something I would necessarily recommend. Spoiler alert. But uh, but I thought it was I thought it was very cute. The Jack Black part was cute. I love seeing Italians succeed. So. <laughs> but the bias. What about the what about authentic casting of Italians, Rebecca? Like, aren't you going to stand up? <laughs> or, I mean, I don't exactly. know. This is not Italian succeeding. This is a... This is, is, this is a, this is, this is a painfully white Hawaiian man succeeding. Um, I don't know what we would call that. <laughs> I, I did say... The, um, I did think that um, from all of these movies... One of the things I'm most excited about is ha- is having seen the new Teenage Mutant Ninja uh, Turtles trailer a few times. I think it played before each of these movies, and that looks very fun. <laughs> that does look fun. I'm down for that. And I like the fun, like, uh, weird animation style that's kind of inspired by, but also, like, inspired by Spider-Verse, but kind of mm. taking it in a different, kind of more painterly right. direction. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's it, review that. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This time, next month, we'll talk about Sp- the new Spider-Man. Across the Spider-Verse, yep. and we'll talk about the TMNT movie. In the meantime, is, I think this is about it for Super Mario Brothers, right? This is this is also Rebecca soft-launching George as the new permanent co-host of this show. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, so George, you have a plan? Great. All right, wait, let's go. Only the uh, most astute listeners will know the difference. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when they know, the, they'll know. They're like, let's high pitch yeah, I will just say, like, to, to wrap it up, it's like, I, I, this is a kid's movie. I think kids will like it. You know, I, I think we're all spoiled by, like, the Pixar type and the and the Disney animation that is, like, made that, and, and you know, Spider-Verse and stuff like that, where it's, like, it's made for adults to enjoy just as much as kids. And this, for me, personally, I, I see it as, like, this is uh, take your kids uh, to it and uh, go have a beer in the lobby, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That probably would have made Sounds me like a man that knows a lot about parenting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dad's drunk in the lobby of the AMC century. He's so mad he couldn't find parking. He's just drinking. <laughs> exactly. Angry, sad, drunk dad at the Grove. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where are we going to get this one? I'm going to go with uh, consume. I mean, I'll, I'll say send it back, consume with children. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. I plus, plus one, plus one. Send it back or yeah. consume with children. And this yeah. one is also still in theaters, and it is rated PG. It is significantly less manipulative. Uh, <laughs> yes. Movie number three, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves. A charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a long-lost relic. But their charming adventure goes dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. Okay, who, who has played, plays, knows about playing? I've never played it. I... I... I've always wanted to, but then I watched some YouTube videos of people actually playing, and I was like, this looks like a lot of math. <laughs> like, I love the world of it. Like, and I watch, I watch a show on Amazon called um, The Legend of Vox Machina, which is, I guess, it, I guess it's like a long way to get there, but it's like a bunch of voice actors started their own D&D campaign, and then they, it was so popular on YouTube, they, they would just air the, the sessions on YouTube. It became like a pitch for a series and now there's a series based on their past campaigns 
which is really good and really well done. And it's kind of like a mixture of like a fun, fun, like, like almost anime style animation with like a more adult humor. Um, it's really good. Anyway. Um, so that's, I mean, I think we all know these worlds just from like, you know, Lord of the Rings, all that stuff. Um, but I, yeah, I've never actually played, but I, I know I'm familiar with the realm. <laughs> mm, the guilds, if you will. The guilds. <laughs> when you the say realm. the guilds are, have overlapping issues, you mean here I, in Dungeons and Dragons? I do have like, after seeing this movie with some of my friends, we kind of came up with like, if we start playing, these are going to be our characters. So um, <laughs> we're just looking for someone to like, do you need a dungeon master. Yeah, we need a dungeon master, basically. Oh, what have either of you ever dabbled? Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, you don't like games, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not. I know. I know people who play. I don't understand how there's not like a set of rules. I mean, I know that there are also a lot of rules, but there's also no rules. Like, you make up your own campaign, and that whole thing just doesn't. I don't get it. It's I, don't, I don't understand. It's like that's it's the problem. Extended, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. It's an extended improv exercise with like a few rules. But I think I think the idea is your dungeon master can is basically making it up. And if you do, and basically if he if something works for the story, he'll bend the rules to like make it work, or she he or she will. Wow, George. Um, Whoa. Okay. Maybe our <laughs> listeners won't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so um, I don't like giving all that. I like the rules like printed by Hasbro on a piece of paper. They come included yeah. with the box, and I don't want to listen to some other person set the rules for, right. for a group of people. That feels weird. I don't like that. But yeah, I mean, like to bring it to the movie, I think like right. the fun of it is like it creates this like there's these thing there's these race you know races of beings and these classes of characters, which is like so you can you can be a uh, human you can be a orc or whatever or and then you those are like your races and then the classes is like you're a wizard or you're a barbarian which is like the muscle person or you're a thief or you're um a, a bard which i think is what chris Pine's character is um so that kind of creates the the kind of structure that they very loose structure they use to create this this movie which i very much enjoyed this is the one that i kind of texted jason and was like i want to be on the binge to talk about dungeons and dragons <laughs> on our Thieves, because i thought it was like just a great time i really enjoyed it um i thought it was like a really fun way to kind of do this kind of a fantasy thing with like a completely different tone um and yeah i love the like weird creatures throughout a lot of much like guardians of the galaxy a lot of weird practical like special effects with like uh, the character of Jonathan, Birdman, <laughs> um, and like there's like a there's like dragon people. There's like a completely Jonathan. No, Jonathan was my favorite part. I I'm, I want a spinoff. He's our spinoff yes, for that. Warpig, Warpig, yeah. and Jonathan can have their spinoff. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like just like the random visual gags of like, rem- like the guy like rescuing a cat baby from the mouth of like a fish monster and then the cat baby mom like it's just like so bizarre like this wacky world um but you kind of get it you can follow everything it's like playing with these like fun little like things that i feel like probably are from the from the game of like spells that are specific um and you just finding fun ways to kind of all wrap it into this like silly heist movie 
um i thought was i thought it was just very very fun very well done and all the actors were just like clearly having so much fun so yeah um, even even our own Michelle okay, Michi Rodriguez. Yeah, uh, that needs a whole sidebar section. I feel like it needs like a little sub theme music to be like Michi chat. I mean, Michi chat. Yeah. I mean, this That's is right. this uh, is uh, we're gonna take our Michi minute. All right, Michi minute. Yeah. <laughs> How she keeps that like it's so her entire career trajectory is just mystifying, of course. But like in how she finds herself in yet yeah, another like massive tentpole fran like presumably with franchise. Uh it, it's just it's just hats off to Michi. Uh yeah. we we, we won't always be cheering her Michi. on. <laughs> she was she perfect in this movie. Yeah, perfect for this part. I love her kind of romantic subplot. I won't spoil yeah. that cameo, yeah. but yeah, that was hilarious. Um, and like <laughs> the fact that they kept the thread going with like in, at the end with her, she she clearly has a type. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, no, I think and like Chris Pine, like I think he is our best Chris. Uh, I will say, mm. I think he's he just he can just deliver um, on like a fun. Uh, role and you know I, I love the other characters. I love the the Justice Smith as a magician. Um, mm-hmm. I am married to a British man and I have a lot of British friends. They said his accent was very well, very impeccable. So um, mm. that's good. Um, and even though the accents were all over the place, of course, Hugh Grant was really <laughs> oh fun. God, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I thought it was. I love the weird sorceress lady who is played by. I don't know if you guys are Buffy fans, but she's um, the daughter of. Uh, Anthony Stewart Head, who played Giles. Uh, I I saw that her last name was was Head, and wondered if there was any connection there. I also yeah. will freely admit that I spent the entire movie thinking that Sophia Lillis was Eliza Scanlon, and I don't know if there's ever a time that I will not have that confusion. Uh, they yeah. are near identical, and they are both on sharp objects. So I don't know. Right. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, this, this, yeah, this, as George said, this was the first, the first seed of the, of this, of this episode of this episode of the show that we're taping right now. And I, I, I had a ball watching this movie. I had a great time. Um, it just, I, and you know, I have to give shout out to the directors because they also did Game Night, which we fucking loved. And, you know, and they just, they just know how to do it. They know how to bring enough comedy to any sort of like, you know, sort of like big studio, big budget film to make it enjoyable, even while, you know, meeting all the criteria, um, you know, that the executives need them to. Uh, So, you know. It seems like we got the humor and the like casualness of a movie that didn't have the, the, the grandiosity of this IP. Right. Like, yeah, it, I feel like the expectations for this one were different. I was like, oh, it's going to be like tailored for either tailored for players of the game that I'm making assumption about what they would like. And I'm wrong. Totally possible. Um, mm-hmm. Or or they were just like, no, we want to make, you, you know, we can kind of do anything with who these characters are within the framework of this game. And we're going to make them like funny and weird, like like the directors writers were the dungeon masters of this, you know, campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I think like that is, I mean, from what I've heard and like, uh, that is the the, the vibe of like, if you have a Dungeons and Dragons campaign of like funny, fun people, that's what a a game looks like. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a mixture of comedy and action and, and like humor, you know? So I think they, I don't know if they play, but like they clearly, I mean, they clearly were just like, let's just make a good movie in this very loose framework, you know? And, 
which is what I think the best kind of IP inspired mm-hmm. stuff is, you know, like, and I always try to say to my, um, my reps or producers I'm meeting with, it's like, I love when it's just like something that basically has no story already attached to it because you can kind of just say like, what's the like general vibe and you can kind of come up with something completely new and like sneak it in and say it's IP, which I think is what they um, kind of did here, you know? Right. Well, yeah. And they do a good job of just sort of like, of just sort of making the utter, utterly over contrived ridiculousness of Dungeons and Dragons part of like the joke. You know, the, yeah. like like the, the, watch this movie. You're like, I'm never gonna be able to understand this. The movie's like, no, that's that's no, you you never will. And that's and that's <laughs> that's 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 by design. So let's just like laugh at how ridiculous this all is. Honestly, but even the, like they even, yeah, oh, they even took like some like I guess like weird concepts. Like I guess that like there's like a part where there's a weird gelatinous cube as like a villain, like you know, like or like an obstacle, and like there's also a creature that creates like holograms of itself, and those I guess are are creatures from the the game and they i felt like i had no idea what they were but i understood the rules of them in like a couple seconds and i was like okay that's what their deal is that's what they do and all of that i think like they didn't ever have to be like this is what a wizard is this Mm -hmm. is what a like it all just kind of was like very well well done with like all this stuff that i think the people who play the game know very well but but this just kind of was like oh like you get what that monster does and how it works in like a couple seconds, which I thought was really well done. It seemed like it had treats thrown in or, you know, things that people who play the game will recognize and enjoy, but also in an uncomplicated way for people like us to say, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there, maybe fans are like, Oh, I'm not, I don't think this is as an ingenious of an invention because it's from the game, but to us, it doesn't matter. We also don't feel alienated yeah. by the use of these characters. I, I'm sorry. I have to ask George, what would your character be? You said you were kind of, oh, on what it would be. I, um, I wanted to do like a kind of, <laughs> so my, fr- my friends and I were just coming up with characters and I want to be like, I want to be a magic user, but I was like thinking it'd be cool. So to have like powers to like, kind of like, like shape flesh. So I could like create like weapons out of bones, but also like shape shift, but only into like other human creatures, um, other humanoid beings instead of much like the character of Sophia Lillie's plays, but like, more of a shapeshifter slash someone who can kind of like control like body parts. I thought that would be like a cool kind of wizard. Um, and I, I, I don't know why I just thought it'd be cool. I want to, I want to want to like a sword made of like, like vertebra that can like turn into a whip. I think that would be fun. Okay. And yeah, we, we had a, we had like a, a riff where, our friend, one of my friends wants to be, he wants to be like a giant, like barbarian giant lady with like a fun, like leather dominatrix outfit, which I was like all about. Another friend wants to be like a sexy satyr who um, uh, like is a bard and like plays sexy songs. Um, and then we <laughs> made our one, and we basically decided our other friend who is a, a dad um, would be a character called Karen, whose power is to only speak to the manager. Um, and, we, <laughs> and not to promote, not to promote chat GPT because that's what we're fighting against in the WGA, but we like, as a joke, put those characters into chat GPT and told them, told it, told basically what our, what our abilities were and like to do an adventure for us. And it was, it was actually pretty funny. Like, because uh, um, every, every character, every time we would get into a, a jam, Karen would use her powers to speak to their leader. 
And like she would get, she was like getting us out of all these, these vines because she had the power to speak to the, their leader and make a deal and complain. And that was like the most powerful power set. It was so funny. I mean, anyway, that shows the inherent um, bias in ChatGPT as a dungeon master. Yeah. It's like, I'm still it scared. Gave Karen the abilities that were needed for every situation. So I don't know. Um, yeah. So we'll see if we ever actually premiere those characters in an actual D&D campaign, but I'll keep you guys updated. <laughs> yeah, please do. I need to know. Yes. Uh, this right, one gets a, a binge it for me for sure. Yeah, me as well. Uh, me too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one is still in theaters, I think, right? And is it, and it's on VOD now. Yeah. Great, and it's uh, rated PG thirteen. The last movie, n- not based on a video game or a comic <laughs> book, not that I know of at least, is Summoning Sylvia. Larry and his three best friends. Okay, now it actually sounds like a little bit like a like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign oh, yeah. when I'm reading it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Larry and his three best friends head upstate for a weekend getaway at a haunted house. As they sashay through the dusty corridors, they recount the home's legend from 100 years ago. A murderous woman named Sylvia slaughtered her son and buried him beneath the floorboards. As they later hold a high-spirited séance to summon the sinister Sylvia, they wind up welcoming more guests than they bargained for. Good job job getting through that. I know it's like ironic. It's like the longest description of the episode for a 70 minute movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is that by fault? Make it your favorite movie of the week, Jason. (laughs) Well, you know, I I had never heard this movie, but this was another this was a George Northey uh, uh, requirement. And uh, and this was this is all you, George. So you you set this one up. Uh, How 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 did this movie come to your awareness? Well, I'm super interested to hear what you both thought. uh, I know Alex Wise, who is a writer slash actor. Um, I know him from just way back. Um, and I know he created, he wrote and directed this with uh, Wesley Taylor, who you all might know from, I think he was on Smash. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're kind of, I think they had, a, they had like a web series that was quite well done uh, a couple of years ago. And I'd seen that, I saw them like posting about this and I saw them release the trailer and I was like, this is kind of fun. Um, obviously very low budget. You can tell they, they got a house, they got some <laughs> friends together. Um, but, you know, as someone who made a very low budget uh, queer film, um, I really appreciated uh, all they put into it. And I, 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 I laughed quite a bit. I, I thought it was quite funny and well, well acted. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I the stakes, couldn't be lower. Um, it's, it's a fun, uh, <laughs> it's a fun little little romp and just like some very indie queer cinema for you all. Um, so uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was. Well, first of all, I was relieved to find that it was indeed available to rent on certain services. I almost had to buy it for fifteen dollars through Apple. Uh, so yeah. it was, uh, I was off to a good start when I realized I could rent it on prime. I was like, okay, now I'm less angry at the movie already. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was definitely, it was, it was, it was funny. I, I enjoyed, like, there was a, a lot of, of dialogue that I was, you know, zeroing in on and understanding that I am like, you know, part of the target demo for a lot of this dialogue. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I loved, love, love the running gag of like Frankie Grande not being willing to like Venmo back uh, his share yeah. of the, the, the cost. Uh, yeah. Oh, now your phone works? You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, 
<laughs> that was one of my favorite bits. And then like uh, when the one character needs his phone and he's like, I left it in the kitchen. Serves me for trying to be in the moment. Uh, when they're <laughs> yeah. trapped, you know, just lots of just lots of great just throwaway dialogue. Um, lots of great lines here and there. Lots of just like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that if I had like one critique to make, I, w- I would say that this feels like a short that just kind of got inflated to this weird in-between length where it's not quite feature length, but it's too long to be a short. So it's just kind of, yeah, it's just kind of, it's, it's yeah, it feels like a strange in-between place between a short and a feature. Um, and, and so I, part of me wishes they either would have just like kept it as like a short and just like, you know, just a really just solid tight, you know, 20, 25 minutes or whatever, um, or found more ways to expand it into, you know, a, 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 a sort of more fully developed feature. But, but the raw materials in, that are here in terms of the characters, in terms of the writing, in terms of the premise, all the performances are so charismatic and funny. Um, so yeah, I think, it, I think it's all there. Um, so, I mean, I almost wish this would just be like, you know, like a proof of concept, something and then they would like take this and then kind of do it again with, you know, more money and, and, and resources and, and all that stuff. Yeah. I think, uh, that's an inter- interesting point about it being between a short and a feature length movie, kind of significant part of the plot about, um, the main character's brother-in-law coming to the seance weekend. And I think for me in these trying times, I wasn't prepared for like a real world um, struggle for these for right. these characters. And I was like, <laughs> I really, I just, they were so funny, and I was having so much fun laughing with them. Again, yeah, that the 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 comedy, the like short little dialogue writing snips were so hilarious. And then like how they were engaging with like the terrifying ghost, like not really being scared of it, and like <laughs> wanting to like hear the tea on like what happened with that like murder. Um, but the, I felt like the, the looming scare presence of this recovering alcoholic drinking war PTSD brother was like stressing me out in a way that like I missed enjoying the movie when it was just the like, we're scared of the ghost, the Scooby-Doo part of the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting point. That's yeah. What, I yeah, totally I, agree. Like there was moments where you were just worried for them and you were like i don't want it to go where that in that direction luckily it does not but yeah it was like <laughs> there were moments <laughs> where like yeah it got a little too real yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i right. felt bad at how the main character was like trying to make him feel welcome and then he was alienating his friends like that that was a whole that's a whole movie but that whole movie is like sadder than i was <laughs> like in, in, when i was compared to the part of the movie i was having a lot of fun with Right. Yeah. It's like you're yeah. you're balancing, especially when like the scenes kind of converge when you're having when things reach like their ultimate sort of supernatural sex farce romp with Frankie Grande <laughs> fucking the pizza guy yes. uh, <laughs> thinking he's the ghost. And then meanwhile, we have like a yeah, homophobic soldier come like barreling in. We're like, oh, God, where is this going? <laughs> um, you know, so, yeah, I think that's that, that's a good point that, yeah, it, it does bring like a, a, a too jarring real world kind of tension to it that for a queer audience is going to be like a oh okay <laughs> like i can really fully relax and yeah. like enjoy how silly this is because now they brought this very real thing into it even though yeah. as we mentioned you know it doesn't go any place actually um you know bad but also very funny that michael yuri is in it and that wesley taylor directed and co-wrote it and co-directed because i, I mistake them for each other all the time uh, but uh, and I and I I enjoyed all of Mikey Michael Yuri doing his his just filming his side of things from whatever day they had him for. Uh, that was yep. fun to see, fun to see. 
And yeah, I mean, I will I will admit I came into it feeling some kind of way toward Frankie Grande, but he won me over. He <laughs> I his, agree. Ti- his timing is his timing is really good. Like he's really funny. Yeah. He was he was basically just giving us uh Kim Cattrall from from Sex and the City, but <laughs> I was here for it. Like exactly. you know, it's very, I know. very I thought- studied. He had the line of the of the movie for me, which was "Stop gendering ghosts." Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I liked his. I loved his back and forth with. Um, I don't know the actor's name. The kind of the type A gay who was. They were yeah. all like. It was very oh, yeah. funny because it was like four very. It was basically four theater gays, but four slightly different shades of theater gay. <laughs> um, so. Um, <laughs> And you could see the the one who organizes and and is the one who ven- who you Venmo. He and Frankie had a really fun kind of uh, back and forth right. uh, energy <laughs> yeah. that I enjoyed. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I would. Yeah, I mean, if they if they managed to like term make you know a, a TV series out of these characters, I would watch it. You know, if it was, Absolutely, I feel like yeah. I feel I feel like they they feel like sitcom characters already. So I feel like there is a future where um, even if they're just doing a parody of the Real Friends of WeHo, I would watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like looking with joke. Exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. Looking but funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. This was uh, so. So thank you, George, for bringing this film to our yes. attention because no I, I don't know if I would have uh, been aware of it without it. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a perfectly fun, diverting, uh, very very faggy way to pass uh, seventy two minutes. Absolutely, I didn't realize it was that short. I didn't even like look at the runtime. <laughs> but... <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah. Shall we rate it, <laughs> or should we just say this is a Friends movie, and so we like it, and we will leave it at that? Well, yeah, I would give I would give it a binge. It. I think it's especially if you watch the trailer, you'll know if this movie is for you or not. So uh, if it if you like the trailer, you'll you'll want to binge it for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would say I'll I'll grade it on on a curve of the setting in which I would usually encounter it, which is at like Frameline or Outfest. Um, it's very much that kind of movie. And if I saw it in that kind of context, I would absolutely say binge it. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, it's actually like competently put together and very funny. And I'm not like cringing from the amateurishness. And so (laughs) for those reasons, I would say shit on frame line, but (laughs) I mean, I've been shit on frame line for a long time. Well, (laughs) 